I think as most of us as Christians know, it's difficult to pray, and to pray right, even more so. We'll understand what it means to pray rightly today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to the program. We're taking a closer look at the disciples' prayer recorded for us here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Now, this is the outline, if you will, of prayer. Our Lord gives us this outline that we might know how to not only pray, but as we'll see today, pray rightly. The right kind of righteousness in prayer is the focus of our time together today. Please join us again, Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13. We'll take a look at a Jewish perspective on prayer as well as the Jewish elements of prayer and the Lord's pattern. Here now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth and teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse. And they also believed that there were certain elements to the model prayer. There were certain things that they believed prayer had to have if it was going to be biblical, true, God-honoring prayer. The first thing they thought was that it should incorporate some kind of love and praise. Um, the psalmist says in 34.2, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall what? Be continually in my mouth. Unceasingly will I offer praise. They also felt that prayer should incorporate gratitude and thanksgiving. Thirdly, they thought that Prayer should have a sense of God's holiness, a sense of reverence before God. They not only felt that, but they also felt that a praying heart should have a deep desire to obey God, to be obedient to God. Fifthly there, part of this ties into that, they really incorporated a sense of confession of sin. When you go to prayer, are you just kind of going in there forgetting that maybe you have some sins that need you to get things straightened out with God first? Psalm 26 verse 6 says this, I will wash my hands in innocence and then go about thine altar, O Lord. And so we can go into God in an unworthy manner if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Also, they believe that prayer should be unselfish. And we don't get this, you know, but in the Jewish culture, they really had a sense of community. They had a sense that they're all part of this together. They were all under the same theocracy, which was ruled by God. And they lived in this kind of a community where everybody kind of cared for each other. So we don't do that today. Everybody's kind of their own independent person. We go our own way. We walk our own way. We do our own thing. Back then, you wouldn't isolate out an individual. They believed in community and their prayers were encompassed always in the whole. They were not isolating out one or two people. The rabbis had a very interesting prayer. Here's what it said. Hear not, O Lord, the prayer of the traveler. Hear not, O Lord, the prayer of the traveler. What do you mean? What do you do when you go on vacation? I pray. I pray for good weather. pray for a safe ride. pray. they, They would never do that. Because while you're praying for good weather, there may be some poor farmer praying for rain. See, they had a sense of community. They had a sense of, of kind of a, a corporate religion. And we've gotten away from that. See, we focused on prayer and it comes down to what we want, what we need. And that's how we pray, most of us, most of the time. God, it's about me. And the rabbis would say, don't, don't hear that prayer. Don't hear the, the prayer of the traveler. Because you could be robbing the farmer of the much-needed rain he needs to feed us. Just to give this guy a nice vacation. See, we go to prayer and it's always I, I, me, me, my, my. And we isolate these prayers and then we say, yeah, I've had a good prayer time this morning. Got all my needs out. Got them all checked off in my journal. All the things that I need, I took to the Lord. And see, 
God wants us to come to Him in prayer. He wants us to come to Him in prayer with our needs. But He also wants us to come in prayer with a sense that, you know what, God, you are in heaven and you do have a master plan concerning your kingdom and everything that fits together here. And sometimes my desires, my wants may not fit exactly where I want them. So we don't always have that perspective when it comes to prayer. In the Old Testament, the Jews would pray, you do whatever advances your cause among your people, not what I want personally. And we've developed this self-centered perspective of prayer, and it's really unbiblical. We've isolated ourselves kind of out. We don't communicate with each other. We don't bear each other's burdens. We don't share the way we should. And consequently, our prayers and our prayer life run down this one single track. And God's saying, that's, that's not the way I designed this church to operate. You notice, if you doubt that, if you just look through those verses in disciples' prayer there, you're going to see that there's no singular personal pronouns in that prayer. Not one. It's our Father, our daily bread, our debts, our debtors. That's the true prayer that encompasses the community of faith. It never isolates one individual out to have their needs met, no matter how it affects everybody else. So they really believed that prayer was to be unselfish. They also believed that it was to be persistent, that we had to persevere in prayer. You know, the Apostle Paul prayed three times. You remember when uh, uh, with the, the sin of the golden calf and in Deuteronomy and Moses, bless his heart after the, the people just totally kind of messed up and God was ready to you know, snuff him out. He went to God and he prayed. It says he prayed for his people's sins, the sins of Israel for 40 days in a row. Now that's perseverance. That's what God wants us to do. We don't just back off and say, oh, well, God's sovereign. Uh, that's why even pray. No, he says, you know what? I don't have a problem with you coming to me with, with needs and that are legitimate, with fit within my will. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to have to be persistent about it. You're going to have to persevere. And then lastly, they thought that the prayers were to be humble, that they had to possess some form of humility. See, a Jew who was coming into prayer to submit himself to the will of God, that's, what, that's the whole purpose of them coming. It wasn't coming to name it and claim it. It wasn't coming to, God, I demand this, I demand that. No. In their mind, when they came to prayer, they were saying, okay, God, I'm submitting myself to your will, whatever that may be. The greatest illustration of that is when Jesus was in the garden, you remember, in the very prayer of the Lord himself in the garden, when he, he basically was very uncomfortable and didn't want to necessarily humanly do what was ahead of him to go to the cross and all that. He says, nevertheless, not my what? Will but thy be done. That's the heart of the truest prayer. God, here's my desire, but you know what? It's up to you, and I, I recognize that. And if, if that's not in your thing, then, then don't allow that to happen. I want your desire, God, not mine. It's asking him to do his will and to give us grace to enjoy it. So all those elements, those eight things there, were part of the very basic elements of Judaism when it came to prayer. See, we go to prayer and it's always I, I, me, me, my, my. And we isolate these prayers and then we say, yeah, I had a good prayer time this morning. Got all my needs out. (laughs) Got them all checked off in my journal. All the things that I need, I took to the Lord. And see, God wants us to come to Him in prayer. He wants us to come to Him in prayer with our needs. But He also wants us to come in prayer with a sense that, you know what, God, you are in heaven and you do have a master plan concerning your kingdom and everything that fits together here. And sometimes my desires, my wants may not fit exactly where I want them. So we don't always have that perspective when it comes to prayer. In the Old Testament, the Jews would pray, you do whatever advances your cause among your people, 
not what I want personally. And we've developed this self-centered perspective of prayer, and it's really unbiblical. We've isolated ourselves kind of out. We don't communicate with each other. We don't bear each other's burdens. We don't share the way we should. And consequently, our prayers and our prayer life run down this one single track. And God's saying, that's, that's not the way I designed this church to operate. You notice, if you doubt that, if you just look through those verses in disciples' prayer there, you're going to see that there's no singular personal pronouns in that prayer. Not one. It's our Father, our daily bread, our debts, our debtors. That's the true prayer that encompasses the community of faith. It never isolates one individual out to have their needs met, no matter how it affects everybody else. So they really believed that prayer was to be unselfish. They also believed that it was to be persistent, that we had to persevere in prayer. You know, the Apostle Paul prayed three times. You remember when, uh, uh, with the, the sin of the golden calf in and, and Deuteronomy and Moses, bless his heart after the, the people just totally kind of messed up and God was ready to, you know, snuff them out. He went to God and he prayed. It says he prayed for his people's sins, the sins of Israel, for 40 days in a row. Now that's perseverance. That's what God wants us to do. We don't just back off and say, oh, well, God's sovereign. That's why even pray. No, he says, you know what? I don't have a problem with you coming to me with, with needs and that are legitimate, that fit within my will. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to have to be persistent about it. You're going to have to persevere. And then lastly, they thought that the prayers were to be humble, that they had to possess some form of humility. See, a Jew who was coming into prayer to submit himself to the will of God, that's, what, that's the whole purpose of them coming. It wasn't coming to name it and claim it. It wasn't coming to, God, I demand this, I demand that. No. In their mind, when they came to prayer, they were saying, okay, God, I'm submitting submitting myself to your will, whatever that may be. The greatest illustration of that is when Jesus was in the garden, you remember, in the very prayer of the Lord himself in the garden, when he he basically was very uncomfortable and didn't want to necessarily humanly do what was ahead of him to go to the cross and all that. He says, nevertheless, not my what? Will but thy be done. That's the heart of the truest prayer. God, here's my desire, but you know what? It's up to you. And I, I recognize that. And if, if that's not in your thing, then, then don't allow that to happen. I want your desire, God, not mine. It's asking him to do his will and to give us grace to enjoy it. So all those elements, those eight things there, were part of the very basic elements of Judaism when it came to prayer. And so when we look at the, the, the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer here, you know, what happened to them was their prayers became very hypocritical. See, they lost all eight of these things over time, and they began to, as religious leaders, saying, oh, you know what, we'll just make our prayers this way. Let's just go out on the street and wear our fancy robes and speak with big words so everybody can look at us and go, oh, look at that person praying. You know, I couldn't help but notice the other day I was watching on the news, you know, all the pomp and circumstances with the Pope coming. And I looked at all the garments they're wearing and all the everything. You know, it's just amazing. And people are impressed by that. And I'm here to tell you, God's not impressed by that. God's not impressed by somebody wearing a suit or, God, or God's not wearing, wearing a robe or wearing... What, he doesn't care about that stuff. He cares about your heart. He cares if you, you found the true way of salvation. If you come to Christ and only Christ for your salvation, are you trusting in something else? See, they were trusting in what man said about their prayers. They were trusting in vain repetitions, it said. They were trusting in telling God what he needed to know. And so their, their prayers became very 
hypocritical. They became phony. They made up prayers. So when you had a sick dog, they'd just get out the sick dog prayer. Here it is. Pray this. That's what it came down to. And so many times, I believe, at least in my own prayer life, sometimes you fall into that trap. Bless me. Okay, who's going to pray? I'll pray. More times than not, I find myself praying. I'm thinking, you know, I just prayed that at lunch. Almost the exact same words. And I catch myself going, how is that different from when I was growing up in the Catholic Church and we sit down at the table, bless the Lord for these, I guess, that you're about to receive from the body of Christ, Lord, amen. Eat. Say that. I can say that prayer backwards. Say that so many times. Had no meaning. Sometimes, you know, when we come to a prayer time, when we come to a dinner time, and I'm speaking to myself as well, let's freshen it up a little bit. You know, it doesn't mean you got to pray a 20-minute long prayer for the food. Okay, that's not going to help anybody, including your stomach. But you know what? There's, there's fresh ways that you can say things. I mean, think if every time you talk to somebody, they said the same thing to you. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't you get a little irritated after a while? Wouldn't you get a little bored? And yet, that's what we do sometimes with God. And God says, hey, you know what? Let's let's make this a real deal here. I am a, a real living God. I want to have communion with you. I want to pr- I want to communicate to you through prayer. I want you to communicate to me through prayer. Let's do it in a real way. Like I really exist. Now, unfortunate, a lot of people take this prayer and basically they recite it. They put it at the end of a service or something and everybody will pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be any. I don't think this prayer is a prayer that Jesus meant to be recited. Matter of fact, I know it wasn't. Any more than any other portion of Scripture. This isn't... A prayer that he even envisioned his people getting together and, okay, shall we pray? Our Father and everybody. That's not what it was for. It was a model prayer. That's why it's so succinct. That's why it's so exact. Only God could come up with this prayer. When you begin to study this prayer, it goes off in so many different directions. There's no way that you can come up even with a clean outline of this prayer. It's just amazing. That's why he says in verse 9, in this manner, recite this prayer. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, you might think about this. This is a model for your future praying. It was never meant to be recited. The reason is is because it's recorded twice in Scripture, here in Matthew 6 and also, as I mentioned, in Luke 11. And it differs in both places. They're different prayers. Basic same models the same, but they're different words. One, he says, Father, forgive us our debts. And the other, he says, forgive us our trespasses. In other words, if it was to be a rote prayer, if it was to be a routine prayer, if it was something to be copied and recited exactly, don't you think he would have wrote it down exactly the same both times and said, pray this? In Luke 11, they said the disciples came to Jesus because they noticed prayer was kind of a, a big thing in his life. And the disciples came to Christ and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Remember that? They didn't say, Lord, could you teach us a prayer? They said, teach us to pray. See, it's one thing to have a prayer book and open it and read a prayer. It's something else to learn how to pray. The Lord wasn't giving them a prayer. He was teaching them to pray. It'd be a little silly if he was actually giving them a prayer that they were supposed to recite because he just got done saying in verse 7 of chapter 6, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. And by the way, I want you to repeat this prayer. (laughs) I don't think he would do that. Silly. And also, there's no other occasion in the entire New Testament, the Gospels or the Acts of the Epistles, where this prayer is ever repeated by anybody. So there's no model for repeating this prayer. It's basically a skeleton that we have to put the meats and bones of our prayers onto. It's an outline. And only God could come up with such an outline because it's the Lord's pattern for 
prayer. And you can look at it in a lot of different ways, as I was saying. You can look at it in a way that it unfolds the relationship that we have with God. For example, it says, Our Father, which means we have a father-child relationship with God. It says, Hallowed be thy name. We have a deity-worshiper relationship with God. Going on, it says, Thy kingdom come. We have a sovereign-subject relationship with God. Thy will be done. Master-servant relationship with God. Give us our daily bread. We have a benefactor-beneficiary relationship with God. Forgive us our trespasses or our debts. We have a savior-sinner relationship with God. Lead us not into temptation. We have a guide and a pilgrim relationship with God. You could, you could look at the whole prayer that way. How it affects our relationship with God. You could even look at it with, how is our attitude when we pray? What's our attitude? It says there, first of all, our, our Father. That's an unselfish spirit. It says about Father. That's kind of a family-oriented idea there. Hallowed be thy name. We have, have some reverence. Thy kingdom come, that we're supposed to be loyal. Thy will be done, that we should have a submissive spirit. Give us our daily bread, a dependent spirit. Forgive us our trespasses, a pendant spirit. Lead us not into temptation, a humble spirit. And on and on and on. You can divide this prayer into simple Three elements, and then three more elements. The first, deal with God, if you look at it. The second, deal with man. The first, deal with God's glory. The second, deal with man's need. The first, deal with the glory of God. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. That's all about God's glory. The second three, deal with man's needs. What's he say? Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses or debts. Lead us not into temptation. You can dissect these 66 words in a myriad of different ways is the point. Another way to look at it is you could say, first three show the purpose in prayer. Number one, to hallow God's name. To bring, number two, to bring his kingdom. Number three, to do his will. That's the purpose of prayer. In other words, God, I'm coming to you in order that your name may be hallowed, that your kingdom will come, and that your will will be done. Well, how does that flesh itself out? How does that happen? Well, first of all, by giving us our daily bread. That's provision. By pardoning our sin. That's God's pardon. By leading us not into temptation. That's protection. He provides. He pardons. He protects. I mean, over and over again, it just kind of comes at you. Calls God our Father. Also calls Him the King because He says, Thy kingdom come. It calls Him a Master. Thy will be done. (laughs) And they all correlate. As Father, verse 11, He gives us our daily bread. He's the source. As King, He forgives us our debts and, and pardons us. As Master, He leads us not into temptation. I mean, I don't think anybody could write this thing other than God. See, prayer is never meant by God to enter His presence and twist His arm and make Him do what you want. That's not the purpose of prayer. Prayer is always for the glory of God. That's why, as John said, sometimes it's hard to pray because you don't know what, in some cases, will bring glory and honor to God. So you just got to put it out there and say, God, lead us, direct us. We don't know how to pray. In verse 13, he kind of wraps this whole thing up. And he says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. See, that's the point of prayer. It's about his kingdom, his power, his glory forever. When you look at the provision that he provides here in this prayer, our daily bread, and you look at, talks about our daily bread, our debts, and lead us not. You can even break it up into three time zones in your life. The present, our daily bread, our debts, sins from the past. Lead us not. That's talking about the future. It's amazing when you stop and you look through this. Everything in this prayer seeks to glorify God. And it seeks to lift up His name and exalt His holiness. There's nothing in this prayer that exalts us at all. Nothing. And he says, this is how you should pray. And see, we get so messed up 
we're praying for ourselves in a way, and, and we don't take how that may affect the whole community of faith. We don't take into effect the whole will of God concerning our prayer requests. Our prayers focus on us and me and mine, whatever. See, our prayer should be focusing on God. In John 14, Jesus says this, Ask anything in my name and I will do it. Why? In order that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That doesn't just mean, Lord, I pray that uh, you give me a brand new Cadillac. In Jesus' name. Where is it? Stop talking about tacking on Jesus' name to the end of our prayers. Sometimes we even get flippant about that. You know, to, to, to pray in the name of Jesus does not mean to say at the end of your prayer, in Jesus' name. It's not talking about saying those words. See, that's what we think. And so when someone just says, Amen, oh, do you believe they didn't, they didn't pray in Jesus' name? We get all bent out of shape. That's not what he's talking about. When he says, ask anything in my name, he says, you know what? Ask anything that encompasses my will, my desire. He's not just saying, just say Jesus' name at the end of all your prayers and they'll just magically come true. The reason you pray and the reason God answers is to put himself on display. To put his glory on display. When you pray for someone who's not saved and they come to Christ... Hopefully you don't come to church saying, yeah, my prayer did it. Awesome prayer. I prayed this prayer and the person got saved. It was incredible. I'm going to write that prayer in a book and publish it. You would never do that. You would realize, you know what? I prayed, but it was the work of God in somebody's heart. And He deserves the glory, the honor. Even when you have a physical need and you pray, and God meets that need, You don't take credit for yourself. See, when we pray, we need to get it in our minds that we're not informing God. He already knows everything. You're not forcing God. You're not badgering God. You're not irritating God. You're not coming to Him and kind of bending His arm to do whatever you want. When we come to God in prayer, our spirit should be such that we're submitting to His sovereignty. See, and that's what this prayer, the disciples' prayer, this model prayer is all about. From the very beginning, our Father who art in heaven, it adores God, and it ends with, Thine is the power of the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. It adores God at the end. And it adores God all the way through. See, Jesus isn't saying to go out and stand on the street corners as the hypocrites do, just to be heard by men, because that's all they're going to get. Because it's not about our glory when we go to prayer. It's, it's about God's glory. And until we realize that, until we are willing to come to Him and say, God, it's not about me. It's not about my needs. It's not about me anything. It's about you. Glorify yourself through me. If you didn't get that <laughs> this morning, somehow you missed the idea that prayer is for the glory of God. If you don't get anything else, get that. When you go to pray, have it in your mind that you want to glorify and honor God. And that's what we're going to be looking at as we kind of weave our way through this disciple's prayer in the coming weeks. An outline for prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the disciple's prayer, is found here in Matthew chapter 6. 
over our next couple of broadcasts. It is our hope and prayer that you take the time to join us as we study this passage together to understand the significance behind prayer, how to pray, how to pray rightly. This has been Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible-teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m., and we offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade five. If you would like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, we'd love to hear from you. Please take a moment and call us at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also find out a bit more about us off of our website, gracefultruth.org. We even have a link to the church site there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. It is our hope and prayer that these times together in God's Word are a real encouragement to you as you seek to walk in grace. And if we can be of any further assistance to you in that walk, We'd love to avail ourselves of that. Whether it's a prayer, maybe you've got a question or two about the program today, we'd do our best to answer those questions for you. And again, you can reach us through our website, gracefultruth.org. Drop us an email there and also find a link to the church site or call us at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also write to us. Here's the address, 2225 Euclid. We're here in Redwood City, zip code 94061. Again, that address is 2225 Euclid, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. And that phone number again is 650-366-9923. 650-366-9923. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, simply mention that when you contact us and we'll get one into your hands. And then we look forward to seeing you next week at this same time as we continue our look at the Disciples' Prayer, this outline for prayer that we might understand the intimacy that we have with our Father in heaven through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to seeing you then. And until next week at this same time, God bless. God bless.